Good morning. Our readings from Matthew chapter 2, from verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star before it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Jerusalem, sorry, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and saw the star they had seen when it rose and when it sorry, they saw the rose. They saw the star when it rose and went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through his prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Amen. Yes, that started off so beautifully, didn't it? So positively, the Magi arriving. But Michael decided not to stop there, but to go ahead and see what happened next, which wasn't quite so positive. And, you know, I've never ceased to be amazed how often we can hear a familiar passage of Scripture and yet someone else can bring something new out of the Word. So let us have open hearts and let's just pray for Michael now as he brings us God's Word. Father God, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for the power that lies within it. And we thank you this morning for Michael as he has prepared for us that which you would have us hear. 
Help us to have open ears and open hearts that we might hear and understand. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Andrea. Well, hello, everyone. Good to see you and on Zoom. Good to see family, friends, among others. After Christmas, what? Asks Sandra, and she'll tell you it's been a good one. And she's loved putting up the tree and with others, others' help and lights and, and all the stuff that goes with it, the cards. But she can't wait now to get it all down. A touch of OCD. By the way, if I mention anybody by name, any resemblance to any living person is entirely coincidental. Ask uh, Jason, he's younger, much younger. And for him, it's been a fabulous Christmas. It's been like one of his chick flick Christmas movies. There's been romance, there have been parties, it's been just, just great. But he knows he's got to get back into the normal world. Ask Audrey. And Audrey says it's the worst time of a year for her, always is. She's always lonely, but it's never worse than at Christmas. And that's because it's also a very sad time for her. So she can't wait to get out into the normal world. Ask Joan, and she says she's been ill. And everything sort of didn't work out. And uh, COVID maybe, whatever. But it was just, can't wait just to get into a normal world. And when I say normal world, I mean school and college and uh, home life, work, retirement. And the world, which does have within it so much illness and bereavement and distress. And uh, twice this last week, people have said to me, we no longer look at the news at the moment. We cannot bear it because of the violence and the, everything that's going on, we can't bear it. Tom Wright, uh, when he was preaching to a big crowd at Christmas, spied in the congregation this famous historian who was known because of all his public, public appearances on television for his skepticism about things, especially Christmas. He'd been bullied to come and sometimes that happens. A family says, you've got to come. And... Uh, he was there. Afterwards, he went up with a big smile on his face, Tom Wright says. He said, I've worked it out why people love Christmas. It's about a baby. A baby threatens nobody. So everybody has a great time. And it means nothing at all. I think a lot of people think that. I was at Horningsea a Garden Centre. And there was uh, Father Christmas's grotto. I didn't go this year, but there was the ho-ho-hos. And, uh, and next to it, the tableau of the nativity scene. And it's, uh, it's been dismantled by now, I should think. That's how a lot of people feel. Now, the reality is that responses at, at uh, Christmas are complex and diverse. And this extraordinary story, and it is quite the detail, the, the way you get into it and see it. You have, of course, the best response, which we've already marveled at, at the, uh, the wise men, the Magi. And uh, 
The fact that they obviously are wealthy and uh, high echelon people, they get into the palace, they ask uh, Herod, and uh, the news goes around. There's a king, there's a king. All Jerusalem is disturbed by that. And he summons, it says, all the chief priests. Everybody was going to be on duty for this one. And he asked them, they, they, they asked him, you know, where's the one born to be Jews, born to be king of the Jews? And he asked these uh, chief priests and teachers. And, uh, and they know, I mean, together, I don't know whether they all got it immediately, but they said, yeah. And they found the scroll, uh, Micah, and they found the bit, it wasn't chapters and verses like we have helpfully, but they knew the bit. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said. And uh, I don't know whether they quoted the rest, but Matthew does. He says it's a prophecy which says, out of you, Bethlehem, out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And uh, Herod here in his says, you go. And the wise men, as we know, went. And this is the best bit of all. They break into this cozy Galilean scene where shepherds have been, first visitors, of course you'd expect them. I mean, shepherds were part of the Galilean picture. But they break in, they utterly disturb it. These foreigners from far, far away who've got these extraordinary royal gifts and when they fall down on their knees, they worship. That's the best response. And you sense as they come into the scene that they're... Um, they're not belongingness. Well, it lays the foundation for our not belongingness. And we realize that this Jesus is international. He's a world over. This baby has these extraordinary consequences. And they find him and they worship him. <clears throat> See, as Lewis once said, uh, seek for the Christ and you'll find him. And with him, everything else this is the best response but there are other responses and you'll have perhaps noticed them there's what I call the religious response there are these chief priests and, and scribes who spent their lives learning about the scriptures and interpreting them and passing exams in them and being elevated in status because of them do they know the prophecies about the coming Messiah? Oh yes. Have they seen things in the sky? Highly likely. Have they authority? So that when they say this in Bethlehem, the, the, the wise men go. And do they? They don't seem to stir a muscle. They got it all down on paper. They know their religious stuff. I mean, they know all about this, and it's the outcome of all the Old Testament's yearnings, this Jesus coming. But when, when they get the right answer, the absolutely right answer, they do nothing about it. David Watson was a, a great evangelist in the 70s and 80s, and many of us would have heard him. And he used to say that many people don't become Christians because they don't want to become Christians. Because they know, but if they're serious with this Jesus, if they get spiritual, it's going to change everything. And 
this extraordinary religious thing, how could it be? I saw a cartoon two weeks ago. It was a science teacher. There was a blackboard behind him full of uh, formulae and things. And he was saying to his class, he said, alongside antimatter and dark matter, we've recently discovered doesn't matter. And apparently, it makes no difference to anything in the universe. Uh, knowing so much, but it doesn't, doesn't really matter. And then there's Herod's response, which is of utter cruelty and violence. The hostile response is uh, in history as uh, a tyrant, bestial, paranoid, he, uh, because of his fear of being usurped, he murdered members of his own family, including his mother. When he died, it's documented, he ordered that leaders in Jericho be killed at the same time so that there would be weeping and mourning. An unbelievably wicked, destructive man who orders, when he hears he's been tra tra uh, tricked by the Magi is not coming back and reporting everything, orders this destruction of these boys under the age of two. And you have suddenly this, this reality of a world where you can have people. How, how can there be men who emerge to be so powerful and so wicked and so vindictive that they can send other people to their death without a care? and organize wars. How can that happen? It does, and Herod the Great began a dynasty, is known for this wicked cruelty. And the thing about it, of course, which will have struck you now, is that when they are warned to flee, because Jesus has all sorts of other cruelty to meet, they, uh, they go to Egypt, just south of Gaza. We see it on the maps all the time at the moment, if we dare to see. Some people don't see the news, yes. It's the place of escape because of the wickedness. And, and Matthew wants us to know, as he does right through the gospel, that, that God's foreseen this, he's prophesied this, he foresaw that it was going to be Jerusalem, that, that so much was going to happen, and in Rama is Jeremiah who talks about Rachel. Rama, not sure, but it's identified with Bethlehem. In Rama, there be such a voice is heard in Rama, weeping and great mourning. And, and this is the world into which Jesus, the child, is born, and from which Jesus, the refugee, flees. Ask. After Christmas, what for Jesus? It's a refugee child. And the truth is, of course, that the greatest miracle is that Jesus, when he comes, is not into some kind of scene at Christmas, which is wonderful and weirdly wonderful. But he comes into a world like ours right now. Right now. And... Uh, you may have seen the Lutheran church in Bethlehem this week where the, 
the minister explained that the Christ, the baby, was laid in rubble to say this was the reality for Jesus in as much as he was shortly, obviously, as a refugee living a life so different from how we would expect the King of Kings and Lord of Lords to live. It is quite extraordinary this response of the wise men that we want to continue into 2024. And that's why when we've had communion and met with Jesus in this world of wickedness and despair and brokenness and, and so many questions that are unanswered about the suffering and the death and the destruction and the, all this stuff. That's why we're going to actually put ourselves in the position again, a dare to, of, of, of making a covenant that this Jesus is one we want to kneel and worship at, to, 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 to belong with him in the new way that he brings in the kingdom that he brings in. And we're going to say the, the covenant prayer that the Methodists use when John Wesley took these words and he said, at the beginning of, of the year, we're going to make this commitment and we make it personally. I'm not my own, but yours. I'm not my own. What you will, I will. Who you will rank me with. It, 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 it's an extraordinary personal first person saying that what happens when the baby Jesus is born changes everything and changes me and my attitudes and the way I'm going to live and the whole way in which 2024 is going to be because of Jesus. Yeah, we do, Russell. Good to have you here. Responses from a congregation. But it's also us as a church. It's not just the, the Jasons and the Audreys and the Jones and the Sandras, whoever it was. It's, 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 it's not just us, though that's vital. It is us as a church. What's going to happen amongst us this year? I was in Beef Eater, which uh, I know to talk about eating at this time. But anyway, we're at Beef Eater. And when you enter it, I don't think it's the only chain of restaurants which does this. They've got a, a guide to kindness. And the guide to kindness explains that this is a place where we seek to be kind and to respect you in the way in which we serve you. And the way in which, because it's a guidance, we hope that you will be kind to each other and kind to our servers. So, guidance to kindness. Well, we as people have the greatest Lord of kindness and so much else, who by his spirit said, this is, this is how you are to be in me. It's because of me. And you don't need a notice when you come in to tell you to be kind. No, though some of us do actually, because we all fall and, and we're always people who are finding ourselves far from where we'd like to be, but together. This is what he calls us to. And so we as people, after Christmas, so what? 
We want to be like the wise men. Of course, we want to worship. We want to keep worship, worshiping. We want to make sure that the religious response, which can creep in, knowing the stuff, but keeping it at a distance. We need to face that in Jesus' strength. And in the hostile world, we need to realize, and in the so much we don't understand, that he's with us. He's with us. Emmanuel, forever. We pray. Our gracious God, you've done the impossible. You've shown us who you are. Right the way through the story of the people of old, they had wonderful glimpses and extraordinary promises and glorious covenants. But until you came, we couldn't see for sure. But when you did, we know we can see. We can see clearly in the light of the world. We praise you and adore you for the weirdly wonderful happening of Jesus coming to us. And we praise you for Jesus among us, risen. And we ask you, Lord, that the individuals that we are coming with our problems and our sadnesses and our bereavements, the, the many of us for whom this year is already not an easy one. Lord, we ask that we might know and those for whom we care, those in our newsletter, that this might be a year of knowing you more closely, knowing you more dearly. And this might be a time when the inner work of your spirit might manifest itself and give comfort and strength and make a change. We pray for our church. We ask that we shall be a people who are changed because of you. And we know we're not there yet, far from it, but give us by your spirit those gifts of kindness and love and joy peace and long-suffering and patience endurance and Lord within this world which is so lost it seems and makes us so despair we pray we, we pray we pray for that church in Bethlehem and the many many groups of Christians who are with us today praying to you that in their extraordinary distress they might know the power of your love, which unbelievably still holds and comforts. We pray for those responsible for these conflicts and these wars and these great tides, which we can't understand, of, of human vindictiveness and power hunger. Lord, we commit this world to you and all those who seek peace. Even now, the efforts to create peace in Israel and Gaza for the, it seems, unending but terrible war, Ukraine, but many other places of, of distress. Lord, work there, we pray, for you have come to save the world. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. Thank you for this gift of being your church. Thank you for the gift of a new year that we might live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.